Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Heyo, Archie Unfiltered, what's happening? How are you guys? How you doing? It is Saturday night. You are riding shotgun with me in my car. That's right. It's another car episode. Um, I realize the quality, the audio quality of these car episodes may not be the best. They may not even be good, but I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can figure out what I'm saying. If you want really good quality podcasts. Then you should listen to Rudecast Archery. Rudy's got a setup that <laughs> he's he doesn't even sound like a like radio DJs don't even have that good a quality in their voice. It almost sounds like he's like a meditation leader on his uh, on his podcast. Like <laughs> I think he changed. I think. The, the presence of really expensive equipment also changes the way he speaks because he gets like really like uh-huh and they're like I'm going to talk real calm and like really thought out stuff it sounds great and uh, his he's got like a really good stream of consciousness if you guys have a chance check out his last his most recent podcast he did was just a solo his first like solo podcast where he just rants and raves for 40 minutes and it was awesome it was really good. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, I don't have much for you guys this week. This is just another filler episode. This is just me ranting and raving again. Um, I'm just uh, fill you guys on some stuff. I know some of you are shooting the 900 right now. Maybe this weekend. Maybe next weekend. At least I'm guessing. I know it is upon us. Um. I don't. I think I may have dropped the ball, but Rudy kind of picked it up on his podcast about the the upcoming fourteen forty event is the Pack Coast Championship. I'm not sure if I had mentioned that or not. Um, a listener had asked, uh, sent me a message and said, "Hey, Linda, what's your what is your secret hydration protocol for these events?" And uh, if you guys have listened, I do have. A hydration protocol. I don't know if it is good for your health, though. Uh, before, like, okay, I should start by saying I hydrate all the time when I work. Like Monday through Friday, I hydrate very well. I drink about a gallon and a half of water to two gallons every day. It's the only way I can keep from gaining weight at this. Well any faster (laughs) is by drinking a lot of water. It's also very good for you. Um, Two gallons might be bad for you, but it's, you know, until then it's good for you. Um, But on the weekends, when I go to shoot events, uh, I don't have, I'm not carrying two gallons of water with me. So generally my Saturday is just fine and my Sunday will end with a headache of some kind or I'll be driving home with a headache and uh, dry mouth uh, most recent couple events the Break the Barriers event and the Fresno Safari I had done this little trick where the uh, well, I, there's two tricks Okay, the one that I've been leaning on the most is I will take a shot of Himalayan sea salt uh, right to my dome piece and then I'll drink a gallon of water the night before and I know you're wondering like the night before what Saturday, Sunday, the night before both actually people and uh, it's better the way I originally done it was I would take a handful of salt and put it in my gallon of water and then choke that down but my buddy (laughs) Alan was like dude why don't you just take the shot of salt to your face first and then drink 
you know, chase it down with water. And it's way more pleasant that way. And then you can just enjoy the water. It goes over way quicker. Uh, now, I don't want, like, you know, consult your doctor or whatever before doing that. Because somebody said that, uh, hey, dude, that sounds like Kidney Stone City. And uh, I am not a health professional. All I know is that Himalayan sea salt, like, when you get dehydrated, one of the things that goes is your electrolytes, right? Electrolytes are largely carried in salt. Himalayan sea salt, for some reason or another, is special. Uh, you know, Rubio's going to say I'm just making shit up, and partially I am, but some of this is right, where Himalayan sea salt uh, helps you retain or gives you electrolytes through water. It's good stuff. Um, Gatorade is largely sugar and salt. And I know that because uh, I think uh, I think a guy I met a guy that was making it in his bathtub a long time ago. But anyway, <clears throat> the other way. So I'm not sure if the Himalayan sea salt thing is bad for you or not. I've never gotten kidney stones, but I might be genetically predisposed to never getting kidney stones. Knock on wood. Uh, you know, I drink. I also drink two gallons of water every effing day throughout the week. So maybe that protects me. I don't know. Uh, it could also be that it's not bad for you. Uh, but don't, you know, don't go get kidney stones and then be like, that guy, that was the guy right there that told me to do this to myself. I, you know, it's considerate on the, on par with, you know, using hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID, you know, maybe it'll work. I don't know. I haven't done it. I haven't gotten COVID. All right. So, um, yeah. Uh, the other thing you could do is hydrate the night before both events or both days of the event, right? Saturday, Sunday, stay hydrated. Um, Gatorade is a good one. There's a lot of sugar in Gatorade though. So that's why I'm like not really a fan of the Gatorade method, but there's things out there, liquid IV, you know, stuff like that. Uh, just get your hydration the night before, try and hydrate throughout the day. If it's a safari event, I'll just buy water at every single booth that there is. They always sell them for super cheap anyway. If it's a feed event, you're only going to get that one lunch break. So, you know, maybe show up with a bottle of water, sip on that throughout the day, then buy another water at lunch. Um, what else? If it's a 900, eh, bring a little cooler if you can. You know, it's going to be all day of shooting with your buds. Why not? If you can't bring a cooler... Just bring a big water bottle. You can set it on the floor next to you, you know? Put it on the line behind you. What have you. Um, let's see. Other exciting things that are going down. Uh, or, like, leaving the hydration thing now. You guys got that figured out. Most of you are adults now anyway and know how to drink water, right? You guys got that figured out. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll trust you. You know what you're doing. If you, <laughs> if you guys have seen... My 1440. If you guys want to know my recipe for a 1440, uh, it is a hydration calorie double stack. It is uh, six, two 16-ounce sugar-free Rockstars and then two packs of ramen uh, where come lunchtime, you just take the ramen and you sprinkle the, the powder, the little the noodle crack you sprinkle it on top of the noodles and you just eat it dry and then you sh- you know you shoot your, your rock star down for some reason or another that always gets me feeling really good you know uh it's something to try again if you try that and you have a stroke remember that was your idea you didn't learn that from me i'm just floating it out there all right uh also rock stars for me have never negatively impacted my shooting but I've always had sugar-free rock stars. I don't drink... I try not to drink sugar. You know, not that I'm holier than thou. It's just I'm going to eat shit somewhere else along the way. So why am I going to drink shit? I just, you know, I try to budget it. Um, in other news, I would like to tell you guys about the Coyote 600 at the Black Mountain Bowman event. Now, this will be after... I believe this is going to be uh, October 30th. All right, uh, it is the Black, you know, Black Mountain Bowman. Uh, they're having, uh, it's kind of like an indoor round, but I'm guessing it's outside. I know I've talked about this a couple times. 
Uh, if you guys have registered for it, you've gotten the email. If you haven't, let me just break it down for you. You're shooting a Vegas round, and then you're shooting a, I believe, a five-spot round. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be a Cincinnati five-spot round. I call it Cincinnati. It's really called Indoor Nationals, but I always call it a Cincinnati five-spot. Or if it's going to be the Rushmore Rumble five-spot, which is like, a, a, you know, five Vegas faces with no blue. It's just red. Um... I'm not sure if it's going to, you know, what the five spot situation is going to be. I know the three spots going to be Vegas. But what is going to be cool about this is they are going to have a shoot off in the end in the open class money class. So no matter what, if you're in the open money class, there will be a shoot off at the end. They are going to take the five highest scores and those guys will be in the shoot off. So you don't have to shoot perfect 300s to make it unless everyone shooting perfect 300s. I don't know what the attendance for this is going to be like. I would expect some heavy hitters to show up. I don't know if it's going to be like a crap ton of heavy hitters. And, you know, this is hitting right after, I mean, some people's hunting season's kind of kicking off. So I don't know how many people are going to be there, who's going to be there, what the caliber of people. I myself am going to go, but as you guys know, I'm kind of waving the flag not to expect much from me. I'm just there to take my lumps, you know. I take my lumps, get some good uh, shooting under pressure, shooting for score. You know, I love that feeling. I miss it. And I really love indoor shooting. Uh, You know, shooting in that vacuum really does uh, help you focus. Well, I don't know if it helps you focus. It's just a great... You know, when someone, when you ask someone for help and they tell you to shoot your bow, uh, one of the great places to shoot your bow is indoors. Because if you do it a thousand times, if you take a thousand shots, you're going to learn a lot about your shot process. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to learn about your bow. At some point, you'll be like, oh, well, man, my timing is way off. Or not. You know? Uh, You're just going to learn a lot of stuff. So... They're going to take the five highest scores, and then they were going to have a Vegas-style shoot-down, or shoot-off from there. I shouldn't say shoot-down, because that is an actual thing. They're going to have a shoot-off, where, you know, everyone shoots. Those who do not hit 30s are eliminated, you know? And then, at some point, it'll go to X's. Uh, Pretty cool. Uh, Jeff Jenkins sent me that. Uh, I think he's helping organize it, or organizing it solely, but... A very cool explanation of how it was going down. Um, yeah, sign up for it, guys. Come on, let's make it a fun. Let's make it a fun thing. You guys, you're gonna see me out there. Um, I, don't, I think Alex Mueller might show up. Elliot's gonna be there. I'm trying to convince Rudy to go. You know, Rudy Sandoval might be there. Uh, it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be really cool. It's you know. As far as a regional tournament goes, I think the turnout will be a lot of fun. Um, I, all right, I think the turnout will be really great, and the event itself will be a lot of fun. I'm hoping my friends Darren and Bet will show up from uh, DB Custom Coatings, so you guys can take a gander at some custom Cerakoted bows that will be there. Um, yeah, come on through. <clears throat> Talk some shit, you know. Let's, let's throw down. I know a handful of people that are going to be there. It's going to be cool. Um, I haven't done this segment in a while, but I'm going to do uh, a bullshit product of the week. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I'm conflicted. I was originally going to smash on the... I was going to take a, a steamy crap on the Bomar nose button. All right. Only because I feel like, if you were to ask me, it's uh, it's some kind of plastic part <clears throat> that was floating around in a catalog from a Chinese manufacturer, and someone was like, hey, can I sell that and make money off of that? And then someone was like, yeah. Kisser button? No, they got those. Nose button. Brilliant. Let's do that. Uh, I feel like thousands and thousands of these things are getting manufactured and most of them are going to wind up in the belly of a sea turtle. Not that I'm a, you know, an ocean hippie. I hate dolphins. So, you know, if they kill dolphins, so be it. But, you know, 
it's going to wind up in your sushi somehow. Is Do you really want that? I don't know. But you know what? That's really the only gripe I have against it. I know good shooters that are using it that actually enjoy it. So, you know, do I really have any place to say that it's a crappy product? I don't think so. Um, not unless I used it. And quite frankly, I don't like tying shit onto my string and then cutting it off later. Uh, or, or tying shit onto it and then being like, oh, well, you know, this is just extra crap I got on. You know, I don't shoot a, a kisser button either, I should say. But I find it strange when people use a nose button and not a kisser button. I've heard that the nose button actually helps more for long distance and the kisser button doesn't, but I don't know about all that. Uh, it, I, I, I couldn't explain it to you, so maybe I should just shut up. And, th- and that's why I'm going to disqualify the nose button for my bullshit product of the week. I should put it in a maybe category, right? Now, I could talk about the Bomar. Now, this is not Scott Bomar. This is a different guy. This is Scott Bomar machines shit. I don't think he sells soft products. That's not true. He does have a D-loop material that is mwah, fantastic. I miss that stuff. But... Um, uh, there's another Bomar, whose name eludes me at this moment, who's a killer hunter. I do... Is he the guy that... I think he's the guy that, that speared a bear. But anyway, um, he, you know, he's the guy that's endorsing the nose button, or his company or whatever sells the nose button. Cool. All right. But now there's also grip tape, so you can get grip tape that matches your nose button. And it's just like, all right. How much Chinese shit are we going to import over here? Uh, that, you know what? I shouldn't say that, though, because I really don't know what I'm saying. Uh, it, it just seems like... It just seems like cheap stuff, all right? That's all I'm saying. Maybe it's good stuff. Maybe, maybe Rudy Sandoval will give me some of this stuff for my birthday, and I'll try it, and then I can tell you guys whether or not I'm a hypocrite, all right? The real bullshit product of the week this week is one that people will argue with me on. You're probably already arguing with me about the last two things I had said. But let's be real. Tennis tape's been around forever. You could buy it anywhere. You could buy it at Big Five. You know, uh, you could probably buy better shit than what's that. You could get lizard skins for bicycle handlebar tape, which is like the best bicycle handlebar bar tape you can get. You could, they make it for baseball bats. I mean, do you really need an archery-specific tape just because it's going to match your nose button? Uh, maybe you do. And if you do, God bless you. Not that I'm religious, but not that you care. But um, one thing that I've always taken issue about is a guy, he's he's local to us Bay Area archers, alright? And he has helped many people. So this is probably where I will get some shit. Uh, he is a keyboard archer and I say that with as much disrespect as I can throw. Uh, He uh, helps people on archery talk. And I do believe he helps people every so often. People that I know that I've gone to him for help have been like, yeah, he really didn't teach me shit. He didn't help me at all. He is the most extreme form of tinkerer in archery. you might know him as the nuts and bolts guy, all right? Or I don't know what, uh, anybody just call himself nuts and bolts archery. And I doubt he'll ever listen to this because he's so busy doing his own thing, you know, like reverse engineering bows and stuff. But uh, this is a guy who, I'll give him props on this. He's put a lot of time into learning about you know, how arrows react, how bows react, you know, what happens when you do this, you know, you do this to your bow, what does it do downrange, right? A lot of his shit, though, does not work, and there are reasons why that I have found out, because I have followed, at one time, I thought nuts and bolts was the bomb, all right? And not to put, you know, words in anyone's mouth, but my sensei paid when you know before I came around before I was you know born into this sport my sensei went to this guy when he was trying to get an edge to, to see what this guy could do for him and he said it was a waste of money 
right? Of course, I was heartbroken when I heard that because I thought Nuts and Bolts was a shit. He will teach you stuff. I think the most awesome thing that he teaches is, I don't know if he calls it line tuning or French tuning or walkback tuning, but even that, the, the, there is an easier way to do it. I mean, he's the guy that you can go on Archer Talk and you will see him putting a string with a plumb bob, shooting an arrow, and then, you know, shooting uh, an unfleshed arrow and breaking the string or, or walking back and then hitting the string as he walks back. Uh, you know, the, I hate to give him credit, but the guy who taught me the best way to do that was Ryan Murray. Uh, he is an archer from Redwood Bowman, and he taught me, like, when you're close, adjust your sight. When you're far away, adjust your arrow rest. That's it. That's all you got to do. You do that enough times, and that shit will be dialed in. The closer you get, the more you can adjust your sight, the better you can make that close mark. The farther away you get, adjust your arrow rest. You know, you pick what you determine to be far and close, okay? But Ryan Murray taught me that, and I use that to this day. I do believe that is a good if not the best way to get your center shot in. And if you, you know, I heard Mark Rubio on Rudy's podcast say that he will get as close as three yards to start this, you know, center shot process. So anyway, I, you know, I'm getting off topic, but, you know, that's what, I'm always going to get off topic because, it, you know, you're listening to me, just listen to me rant right now. So that's and Bolts guy. Uh, someone would normally ask for help in an archery talk form and I know people are going to be like dude why do you go on archery talk it's just a bunch of you know morons for the lack of a better word ranting moronically uh, and only morons read it and you know what guilty as charged uh, I'm a moron and I love reading about archery there's always little you know, juicy nuggets, little tidbits here and there. I like to consider myself somewhat open-minded, so I love reading this stuff. And, you know, don't get me wrong, Nuts and Bolts will do something cool once in a while. Like, I think I've seen them put spiral cams on a on a Matthew's Conquest or something like that. I mean, pretty neat. Are those things meant to go together? No. No, they're not. Uh, will you ever see that bow in a, a Vegas shoot-off? Never. In fact, uh, I'll put money on it. Never. Um, will you ever see anyone win an indoor money shoot with a Conquest spiral cam? No. No, you won't. Unless this guy shows up at the Coyote 600 and whoops my ass with it, which would be cool. Um, <clears throat> the, the, you know, one of the gripes that I got about, the, you know, nuts and bolts is he'll, he'll say it, it's so easy. Like, here's the thing. He's like, here's your, you know, someone will post up a pro- uh, Here's my problem. My form looks funny. And he'll be like, well, you know, all caps, you need to do blank, you know, all caps. Uh, and then when you do that, then you do blank. And it's just like, it's such an, first, it's got such an abrasive way of explaining things with this all cap shit. Because it's like, I feel like I'm being yelled at. But there are guys that when their form was, quote, corrected on, you know, through Nuts and Bolts' direction their face is not even touching like their their face will not even be touching their string like they lose anchor points if if any of them you know they're like they'll lose all anchor points uh is that kind of crap he doesn't talk about you know his bear shaft tuning never talks about back bar position he says that he can get anyone shooting dead on accurate like he says everyone has a set like uh, stabilizer weight setup, right? And he's like, I can get you shooting like center X inside of three adjustments on your stabilizer setup. He's got like a three adjustment, like whatever. If he looks at you shooting your bow, he knows how to adjust your shit. I look at dude. I've been shooting for five years, four years now, five years. I can't even do my shit in three three shots. All right, and maybe. Hey, like I said earlier, guilty as charged. Maybe I'm more on. Maybe Nuts and Bolts is like a Rain Man status uh, with stabilizer bars. But I promise you, if someone does that, someone walks up to you and just says, oh, yeah, this is what you got to do to your bars. 
Uh, okay, shoot again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Shoot again. All right, bam. There you go. Go win a tournament, kid. You will be changing that soon. He also stresses that you should stabilize your shit by, like, hanging your bow from a string and then, you know, adding weights here and there until the, the shit floats neutral. No. No. I, I've gone over this many a times with you guys. Like... Or at least maybe once in my stabilizer podcast. You weight your bow according to how you shoot. You know? Like if you are an aggressive pusher on your bow arm, you might need more or less front weight. Depending on how much you push. If you fucking rip on your release hand when you're trying to get that shot to go, you know, you might need something. If you got a, a wacky elbow and it causes you to turn your hand over, you got you might need to kick that back bar out. It's different for everyone, right? And I'll be damned if you can get it inside of three shots. You know, uh, again, I should be open-minded. You never know what's on the other end of the rainbow or, you know, whatever they say. But I do know, yeah, like, you're not going to weight a bow neutrally either. He's also very much a hard-pressed guy that's all about using fender washers, right? Versus, you know, the single-ounce weights that, you know, are available. Now, I know what you're saying, but Wendell, hey, AAE makes half, two-thirds, or Conquest Archery. I don't know who. There are companies that make split-weight, you know split weight stabilizer weights. What do you think of that? Hey, those are cool. Those are cool. All right. I'll give it to you. Maybe you need them. Uh, you know, I had like a half ounce weight too that I was using, but then it got, it got stolen when my, my, uh, my quiver got burglarized from my car. But anyway, right now, most of the time in my shooting, uh, quote career, end quote, is I would have been able to do it with single ounce weights. That's not to say a half ounce or a three-quarter ounce weight doesn't have its benefit. It definitely does. But fender washers, dude, that is some crackhead archery shit right there. And he's like, ah, there's a very scientific reason. Fender washers, you can get an extremely fine, super fine, precise, uh, you know, what have you, to get your bow to balance out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, that's the Bolts guy. I, I once confronted him on Archery Talk, and I said, dude, uh, because he has a very, like, do this, and you're set. You're in, like, like do this little, this little tweak here and there, and you're going to be in triple X, you know, city forever. You're, like, you're going to be the shit. Never once does he stress, like, a training protocol or never once does he stress like periodization or uh, a number of arrows to shoot a week it's always like tinker with your shit a little bit and bam there's your the, the magic pill is now in your throat dissolving and I've always had a problem with that and so like I've gotten into it more, with him where I'm like dude what have you ever won like why do you feel like it's okay to tell people this stuff albeit some things that are wrong, uh, when you haven't ever won anything. And then, you know, that's the wrong thing to do on Archery Talk because the dude has legitimately helped people, you know? And I think there's something to be said about that. There, there are, you know, I can say bullshit product, which would be his... He's got, like, an online PDF. Um, and there are some good things in that PDF, but it's basic stuff. It's, you know, yoke tuning, uh... You know, it's very basic uh, timing. What's great about that as a resource is if you're a beginner and you don't know anything, it's right there and it's spelled out for you. Um, You know, the downside one could argue is that it takes away you going to your local shop to learn about that. You know, you can go to your local archery shop, ask a bow tech, or you go to the West Coast, find Rudy when he's, you know, eating a burrito or he's trying to take a break and ask him, 
be like, hey, can you teach me about tuning and timing my bow and yoke tuning and shooting a bullet hole through paper? Granted, uh, you know, most places, I know if you get a bow from Rudy, he'll make sure he's shooting a bullet hole before it leaves the door uh, or leaves the building. So, uh, you know, I'm just saying, the guy has this thing where he's like, do this tweak, all your problems are solved. And that's never the case. And so I've always wanted it to be like, man, like you have no business telling people this stuff. And to be fair, more or less, I don't have business telling people this stuff either. All I can tell you guys is my own experience and what's worked for me, you know? And I've had success. I can tell you I've had more success than nuts and bolts has. All right. That's kind of an asshole thing to say. It's kind of a dick thing to say because maybe that's a bolt ain't in it for the for the glory. Maybe he's not in it for the win, right? Uh, maybe he's just in it to to get on archery talking. You know, make people think he's uh, archery Jesus or something. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, he does know a lot about stuff. You know, uh, I. I think he's got some, like, wacky arrow building theories, but who doesn't? I have some wacky arrow building theories. In fact, let's segue out of this because it's kind of negative. I don't know how much of a dick I come off looking, but you guys can all look up. Oh, actually, no. <laughs> I was going to say, you guys could all go on Archer Talk and look this up, but you know what? It's better for you as an archer, like a, someone who's trying to get better at archery, it's probably better for you not to go on Archery Talk. Archery Talk's a great resource for buying used gear, uh, I've gotten used, used stuff on our archery talk a long time ago. I've bought and sold bows on there. But um, that's about it. As far as asking advice, archery is a really tough thing to get good advice on because you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get some garbage. I'm sure I've given you guys some garbage, but you know what? That's for you to figure out. That's for you to sift through. And uh, ultimately, you're going to be like, hey, Wendell, you know, you gave me this garbage advice. I shot 500 arrows and sifted through it. And here's how I think it's better. Before you tell me, just know that you shot those 500 arrows because I made you sift through some garbage. And that's what made you better. Yeah, that's what I did. But uh, yeah, okay, segueing out. New wacky arrow theory. I wasn't going to tell you guys about this. I was going to keep this a secret, right? But uh, it's open for debate, you know, if anyone wants to talk about it. I have, I think I may have learned something about indoor arrows. And maybe it's a little premature, right? Just something you guys can think about uh, when you're ready for indoor season to start kicking off, right? uh, As of right now, I think you guys still have a couple. I think there's a Salinas Bowman Island shoot that might be going down like right now. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, I'll keep you guys updated as the winner of that goes, if I can remember. Um, but indoor, indoor arrows, okay? We're shooting uh, heavy, wide diameter arrows. By now you guys know this. If you're a compound freestyle guy, you're serious about competing, or at least you have the desire to, then uh, you probably got some indoor arrows. <clears throat> They're probably a little wider than your field arrows. Do you know what what point weight you're running? Do you know what veins you're using? Have you shot it bare and seen which way the arrow rotates? Now, for indoor, I firmly believe that knowing which direction your arrow rotates and then fletching in that direction is like an important thing. And I've heard, I, I wanna say it was Paige, but she was talking about uh, field arrows at the time that that shit really doesn't matter. I know for a big arrow, it makes a big difference. At least it has for me in the past. Back when I shot my uh, my my first gen Matthews 38, I had some Easton 2712s. Uh, and I'll just lay out a build for, for some of you guys, if you're curious. The best build I ever got going with Easton 2712s was at 31 inches, 225 grain points with big AAE bands, the 
the four the four bangers. Uh, it was three ba- four four inches, three three veins fletched in the direction. Right at first, I had them just fleshed right helical because that was the only clamp I had. And then uh, I can't remember if it was a George Riles video or what that I saw about you know seeing which direction the arrow naturally spins. But I stripped the veins off and shot a bear shaft and then watched it spin left. And most strings will kick out arrows counterclockwise. Um, and I'll be honest, with the way it was shooting with the right fletch, there would be sometimes like these unexplained shots where, say you would break middle, and it would not land middle. It would land like, sometimes it would, but sometimes it wouldn't. And sometimes you would break on the line and it would land more middle and sometimes you'd break on the line and it would land out. There would be unexplained uh, what's the word? I don't want to say printing because it sounds so uh, pretentious but there would be unexplained results sometimes. You'd break an arrow that felt good. Maybe they're like realistically what's happening, right? Uh, Well, you're doing some kind of little uh, something in your setup, maybe slight hand torque or whatever, that's you're now seeing downrange on this arrow. Well, if you fletch in the direction that your arrow naturally rotates, it will absorb those little, those really small, tiny bullshit things that you are introducing into your system. Uh, fletching in the right direction will absorb that. Now, I firmly believe this because when I did this, it made that arrow shoot really good for me. So much so that I kept those arrows for years. Um, I even went and, like, I tried building. I had another 2712 build, which was 325 grain points. Uh, cut to 30 inches. And I thought those worked really good for me. And then I ended up going back to the 225s and was like, man, what did I ever switch? These are incredible. Uh, that 225 grain point 31 inch arrow is a Jesse Broadwater build formula. I believe he does like 31 and an eighth or 31 and something. But that is a Jesse Broadwater thing. I did not come up with that on my own. I just stole it directly and it shot great. There is the Emerson for- formula, which is 30 inches, 200 grain point. I believe he used FFP, like four-inch FFPs. Those are good. Um, you know, I, I, I believe fletching in the right direction is a big deal. And I recently have been toying around with stuff, and I I believe point weight only really matters if you're shooting a blade. I think it has to match your blade. And I used to not. I used to run an 08 blade for everything because I thought that, this, the softness of an 08 blade would be forgiving. Uh, for, for anyone that doesn't know what an 08 blade is, when you shoot like lizard tongues or spring steel lizard tongue, it comes in different widths. There's uh, the standard is a 0.10, then there's an 08, which is the thinner, softer one. It's for people that shoot lighter, smaller arrows, women, children, myself, and then there's a, a 0.12. People that have 30 inch. 32 inch draw big heavy arrows most of the time you still shoot a 10 even if you're one of those I don't know how many people shoot the the 12 you know but um, I think point weight really only matters when it comes to that blade and how that blade is being set up because that blade supports the arrow through a section of its flight sometimes that you know under a, a, a super fine uh, or super fast camera, you'll see that when you first shoot, the force of the, the arrow moving forward kind of pushes the blade out of the way, and then the, the rest of the arrow just kind of takes off, right? And I've done powder tests on blades. Like, you can shoot three vein uh, 27 diameter arrows and not make contact, not get vein contact, at least not heavy vein contact on your blade. 
So I, I believe that the point weight just has to match that springiness of the blade. And that springiness can be affected by the pitch of the blade, you know, like the angle that you have it set. Um, I know that I used to really like running my all my blades really shallow, like, like a shallow is a good word, but I used to run them low, like they were laying down, and that is, like, recently I found that that gives me, like, a lot of tuning troubles. I don't know how I got away with it in the past. Maybe I didn't go as low as I've done now, but um, as you start to make that blade shallower, you make it springier, right? As you bring it up so that it kind of looks like it's standing up, you're making it stiffer. Uh, And it's only because, uh, I, I can't really explain it, but if you ever try it, try it. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's like pushing down on a... It's like if you were to... If you had a really long PVC pipe, right? And held it straight out in front of you. And I, you know, jumped on the end of that... The other end of that PVC pipe. It would go, boo! And it would like, you know, i bend it downwards. If you held that PVC pipe straight up in the air, and then I ran and jumped up on top of it, it wouldn't bend the same way, I should say. Realistically, in, in, in reality, I'd probably bend it all over, but for the sake of the simulation, it, it wouldn't bend it anywhere. I would just be like perfectly on top of it. So that's what I'm getting at. <clears throat> I think the standard, they say, is 35 degrees. That's pretty decent. I think you can run 35 degrees and not have any trouble at all and, and probably get the best out of out of that uh, that blade. I've seen guys run like really upright <laughs> blades and then when I wanted to make fun of them for it or be like why are you doing that they shot ridiculously good so maybe you have to tune for it I don't know be wary alright too shallow too steep they, there are problems that become associated with it uh, namely like too shallow the blade becomes too springy it might smack the back of your arrow <clears throat> When you release that arrow, it, the, the force of the arrow coming off might cause the blade to, to dip and dive, and then it, and so it creates all kinds of inconsistencies. So anyway, <clears throat> point weight has to match your blade. And that, I also believe, has to match your hold. If you hold really steady, and you don't have a lot of vertical bobble, you can probably get away with running an 08 blade or a soft blade or a blade with like shallow angle and not worry about that vertical bounce you know um, again like I, I myself have some vertical bounce there so I would run it at 35 degrees also at 35 degrees if you put a 350 grain point in your arrow it is going to sit on that blade and you know it's gonna it's gonna make that blade feel awfully springy so just think about that (coughs) Um, I've heard some people say you know that they run their triple X's or their 2712's with 100 grain points I've tried them thought they were no bueno I've done 150 grain points in some 2712s that I built for my brother and I left those arrows full length and those were really good shooting arrows I would not advise anything less than 150 on uh, an indoor arrow but the, the big thing that I'm finding is that if you shoot a drop away uh, like a Hamskia Hamskia yeah or, or a Q, well, maybe not QAD but if you shoot a Hamskia or a Trophy Taker or something of that nature I don't believe point weight is a factor and I say this because I have tested a bunch of different point weights and my group sizes are the same <coughs> you know what makes the biggest difference group sizes veins your vein selection the type of vein you pick whether or not you do three flesh four flesh hard helical one you know offset whatever 
that will make a much bigger impact on your 20-yard grouping than your point weight. Now, I, I can't say for sure if that overrides if you use a blade, right? If you use a blade, then point weight might, might be the thing that overrides that group size. But I do know for experience, from experience that if you shoot a drop away and it is timed correctly, you can adjust your point. And, you know, if all your arrows are fletched the same, you can change point weights and your groups will not change. If you're still breaking good shots, you know, you set your sight properly, um, your, gr- your group sizes won't change. Now, I did not go below 150 grains and I did not go over 300. So I tested 150 to 300 and group sizes were all the same. Where I found things getting really interesting was when I started messing around with veins. And I, I messed around with different companies' veins. I'm not sponsored by any vein company, right? I'll shoot whatever... First, I'll shoot whatever looks cool. Then, I'll start shooting, you know, what works cool. And uh, right now, what I found works really good is uh, a stiff a stiff vein that you're not going to get like cable contact on. So if you can find a stiff vein if it's low profile, awesome. Uh, keep in mind, you need enough vein to steer with. And I know steering is such a weird word in archery. <clears throat> you need it to stabilize. And uh, I would... I, I know different vein companies sell um, like sample packs... And I'm not all for going out and just wasting your money on, on a bunch of different veins. I, I always like to say, like, do what's cheap, right? If you can save yourself some money when you're experimenting, go for it. A cool thing you can do, and I've done this with a very good friend of mine regarding broadheads. Not a hunting podcast, but same concept. Or we will pool all our stuff, you know? We'll bring all our broadheads together. In this case, it would be veins with you and your homies. Get a bunch of different types of veins, you know, um, and, and say like, uh, I would do two arrows or three arrows each, right? You're going to fletch three up a certain way. And, and again, this all takes time. If you don't have the time to do it, then just pick what looks cool or, or pick your favorite shooter and copy their shit. I don't know. But um, I experimented because, you know, I, again, I don't have the time, but you make time. First thing in the morning before you go to work, you strip an arrow down. All right, next day before you go to work, you glue a vein on. Next day before that, a second vein. By the end of the week, you'll have three arrows, or at least close to it. (coughs) So, vein direction, all right? Uh, Type of vein, uh, and then the number of veins you're going to put on there. You can go four-fletch, three-fletch. I don't know if... um, I don't know if, like, you're going to go three-fletch if you want to use something longer, like a four-inch vein. But uh, one thing I noticed is when you're setting your vein, you want to set it far enough forward that it doesn't hit your face. And uh, I used to do this all the time with all my arrows back in the day. And for some reason, I I read somewhere that the further back on the arrow your veins are, the more leverage those veins have in, in spinning and stabilizing the arrow. So after I read that, I was like, oh, well that, you know, that will neutralize any face garbage I put on there, you know? Uh, yeah, no, no. It's actually better to not have face garbage on there. Again, I found this my, that, you know, that works for me through testing. Uh, I would encourage you to do some testing and verify or not. Um, so, if you move your veins, if you have a huge face, if you have like big chubby cheeks like me, then those veins will hit your arrow rest. That like if you're shooting a Trinity, it has like this little arrow holder doodad on it. A four-inch vein will touch that holder doodad. <coughs> so maybe you have to use a three-inch vein and do a four-fletch. I don't know. Um, you guys can figure it out. If you're running a, a drop away, why not go for a four fletch? You know, I feel like you got nothing to lose. 
you know? Uh, but try it. Again, I think with the indoor arrow, you're going to see the biggest improvements on vein selection, vein placement, right? And then vein orientation, i.e. helical or whatever. And this might not be anything I, I haven't said before, but it seems to be ringing true right now for me for my current arrow builds. Um, that it, it's more crucial than point weight at this moment. Like, like night and day more. And so hopefully uh, you guys, someone out there, will try it and get back to me and say, hey, Wendell, you're 100% right. You know, like, the, the, the you know, type of vein I pick is better. <coughs> uh, you guys will see what type of veins I'm running at the Coyote 600. Uh, and, yeah, and that's it. That's all I got for you today, guys. So thanks for hanging in there. I know I ranted and raved. I'm sorry I was a little bit negative. It's kind of not my thing. Sometimes it is, but I don't want it to be. All right? Uh, just know that in the world of archery, there is tinkering and there is shooting. And I promise you, in the end, it all comes back to shooting. You can tinker all day till you're blue in the face. And yes, tinkering has its place. All right? It, it is a necessity in freestyle archery to know how to tinker at least a little bit. But let's be real. You can have the best tuned bow in the world that is perfect in anyone else's hands. And if you cannot break middle, it is worthless. So shooting, breaking middle is the number one skill that we are striving to acquire (coughs) or perfect or polish up real fine. All right. So thank you guys for listening. Keep it XD out there. And don't forget to tip your waiters, all right? Uh, This episode is brought to you by DB Custom Coatings. My homies at Cerakote Bows. You guys will see it. Elliot's got a sweet uh, DB Customs bow. Uh, His Matthews is all Cerakoted up in gun candy. I believe it's green gun candy. Um, Darren has his personal TRX-34 done up in a distressed kind of like a black gun metal uh, with like a copper undertone. Uh, It's really cool. Or gold undertone. Uh, Yeah, you guys will see him out there. I think Rudy Sandoval has his target bow Cerakoted white just uh, just to make it look real nice. uh, But yeah, check them out. They got an Instagram, DB Custom Coatings. Uh, They're really cool. They do more than just bows too. They They do guns, car parts, medical equipment. (laughs) <laughs> Go get your sleep apnea machine Cerakoted, all right? <clears throat> and then uh, Carbon Craft Stabilizers. Uh, you guys know. I talk about them all the time. Brian Webb down at Impact Archery will take your orders. He'll, he'll uh, get them out to you. Or you can place an order through West Coast Archery. Uh, Carbon Craft Stabilizers. They are the bomb. <clears throat> That's all I got for you guys. Have a good night, all right? <clears throat> take care.